oldest son is active. If you can believe that, crazy. I have an 18-year-old. Um, so he didn't come with us this morning. I think he's helping with Sunday school at Grace Bible Fellowship in Sexsmith. Um, now, the reason a lot of you probably know me is I did my internship here in this church uh, probably three years ago or four years ago. I can't remember exactly uh, when I was at PRBI. Uh, there's a few familiar faces and a few uh, new faces. It's, it's good to see everybody here, so welcome here. And thank you for letting me come back to share this morning. Um, it's interesting, so we were just singing that God of Wonders song, and it has nothing to do with my sermon, but that song has spoke so deeply to me in the past, in some of the darkest days of my life, and so kind of got me a little emotional before I came up here, so just bear with me while I <laughs> work through this. Um, <clears throat> so I want to start off today by asking you a few questions. How many of you have heard of Martin Luther? Show of hands. Okay, pretty well everybody. So he helped begin the Protestant Reformation in 1517. Now, how many of you have heard of John Calvin? Yeah, okay, most of you again. Um, He's kind of known, he has a nickname of one of the fathers of Reformation because of all of his theological works that he wrote that helped shape um, churches. Okay, now how many of you have heard of William Tyndale? You're going to get tired of putting your hands up, but if you've heard of him, put your hand up. (laughs) Um, So he's known as the father of the English Bible because he pioneered the translation of scriptures from Greek and Hebrew into the English language for us. And he ended up getting uh, murdered for his efforts in 1536. It was a really big deal. Now lastly, the last person I want to ask you about this morning is how many of you have heard of Humphrey Monmouth. My wife, probably, because she cheated. (laughs) Um, It's not, he's not nearly as well known, but it's interesting to me that he's not, because some would say that he played an equally important role in the translation of scriptures and and distribution of scriptures into English. So we're going to come back to his story a little bit later. But this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you guys about a kingdom-focused generosity. So not just generosity, but a kingdom-focused generosity. The passage that we're going to look at this morning is Matthew 6, 19 to 24, and it has three keys to living as generous followers of Christ. Uh, They have to do with your heart, your eye, and your hand. And I'll give you the three keys up front, and then we'll work our way through them. So we're called to have a pure heart, we're called to keep our eyes clear and focused on God, and to have strong hands doing the Lord's work. Now, when we talk about generosity on the service, you may think that there is an obvious connection between being a follower of Christ and it being a generous person. However, if you were to look honestly at the North American church as a whole, we have seemingly found a way to disconnect generosity from being a follower of Christ. Now, that's me painting with an extremely broad brush over everyone here. So please don't hear that I'm saying everybody needs to be more generous um, or that everybody's not being generous. But it's something that God's been really challenging me on. Um, 
I know that when I was here at this church, I saw a lot of generosity from the people within this church. So I'm not specifically picking on you, but it's a message that God gave me um, and challenged me on in my own life, so I just want to share that with you guys this morning. So let's read our passage, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So before we jump into the three keys that I mentioned already, I want to clear something up. Money is not evil. Okay? And money is not good. Money is completely neutral. It's what you do with the money and how you pursue the money. That's what makes it good or evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not the problem, but our love of money can be a big problem. God uses money all the time to further his kingdom through those people who have a kingdom-focused generosity. And so that's what I want to talk about here today. So like I mentioned, the first key is to having a pure heart. Now when Jesus started, um, this was in the Sermon of the Mount, and so in 19 to 21 of our passage, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal. So in Bible times, a lot of wealth was stored as either precious metals or cloth was very valuable in that time, a really fine cloth. Um, And so they would collect these things and store them. But with the dry, hot climate, there was so much risk that moths or other insects or or, um, even mice and rats would come in and wreck your cloth. So all of this wealth that you'd been storing up could all of a sudden become worthless. And same with your metals. They could tarnish or they could get rust and they could really devalue. And so Jesus is trying to make a point here that all of these things that the culture is seeing as valuable um, are really things that all pass away. In the grand scheme of things, they don't mean anything. Um, I'm sure some of you have heard the expression you don't ever see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? At the end of the day, you're not taking your stuff with you. So how important is it? This summer, uh, we had fires all the way around us here, right? South of Grand Prairie and all the way up through the north, up to Hay River. Uh, My parents live up in Hay River, so they were evacuated actually down here. They stayed with my sister and got to travel to see my brother. They ended up being evacuated for a couple months throughout the summer, Um, And the whole while, you know, the fire burnt all the way around Hay River, and their house is right on the edge of town. 
So they kept getting reports that, well, the fire moved past this fire break, so there's a good chance it's going to get into town, and if it does, your house will be gone. And they just kept getting these reports. And, and a lot of people had um, some good perspective on it. They would say, well, it's just stuff. We can replace it. It's, you know, as long as everybody made it out, the rest is all just stuff. But some people didn't have that same perspective. They would say, it's not just stuff. My whole life is in that house. Everything that I've lived for will be lost if my house burns. I'll lose everything. And I don't want to minimize the loss. It is a huge loss if you lose your house in a fire and all your possessions. Um, but when, when it comes down to it, if you say that everything that you've lived for is in that house, I think the question that we would need to ask ourselves is, what have you been living for? Or maybe who have you truly been living for? You see, in contrast to storing up our treasures here on earth, God says that we are to store up treasures in heaven where moth and vermin, or in this case fire, cannot destroy, and where thieves cannot steal. For where your treasure is, he says, your heart will be also. Now, there's lots of examples of people who have a very uh, kingdom-focused perspective, trying to store up for themselves treasures in heaven. In fact, that list of people that I gave you earlier that I had you raise your hands over and over and over for, um, those are all great examples through history of people that had a kingdom-focused generosity. They were looking to store their treasures up in heaven, not here on earth. When I was at PRBI, there was a guest speaker that came in and he said something when he was talking about this principle that I will never forget. Someone asked him, you know, what is the greatest reward you think you'll get in heaven? And he said, well, I think the best treasure and the greatest reward there will be will be able to stand there and look around and see all the people that God allowed me to minister to to stand there with all the people that I shared Christ's love with and to be able to worship Jesus together in Jesus' very presence. To him, that was going to be the best reward he could get. And to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. This man was very much kingdom-focused and his heart was 100% invested in serving God. You see, your heart is invested in what you pursue. So if you're looking to build up your wealth and possessions here and that becomes your focus, your heart's desire will be to go after those things, to long for more of those things. Your heart will always desire what you have placed the highest value on. We're called to invest into the kingdom of God. We're called to have a heart for God's people for God and for the lost. And those should be the desires of our heart, to see those things met, those needs met. So that can look differently. It can be through finances or giving of your time or giving of your energy. Either way, to, have a, to be a generous follower, you have to have a pure heart that is focused on God and furthering his kingdom. Now, the second key to kingdom-focused generosity from this passage is to keep your eyes clear. In verses 22 to 23, 
Um, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the eye is the organ of the body that lets all the light into your body, right? It lets you see and process things. Now, um, we do a lot of stuff that we depend on our eyesight for. Like, how many of you drove here this morning? Hopefully you were awake and your eyes were open. I suppose the fact that you're here probably says that you were. (laughs) Um, But everything we do, almost everything we do, we have some element of eyesight that we that makes it easier. Even walking or running or jumping or riding a bike would be extremely difficult without eyesight. Not impossible, but more difficult. Well, just like that, um, or just like this analogy, there's another analogy that we could use of of a window letting light into a house. Um, When you buy a house or build a house, you want to see lots of windows in it, so that all the natural light comes in and it really brightens up the house, right? I know that's a big thing for my wife. Um, When we bought our house, there was a wall separating the kitchen from the living room. And in our house, the kitchen has two smaller windows in it, and the living room has one really large picture window in it. And the two windows in the kitchen, like the kitchen is north-facing, so they didn't let a lot of light in at all. Our kitchen was always kind of dark and sad, really. (laughs) At least that's how it felt. And the living room had all this light come in because it was south-facing and it had a huge window. So all this light is pouring into the living room. Well, we took the wall out between the kitchen and the living room, and a shout-out to Jake Bergen. He came and helped me do that. Um, We took half of it out when we moved in, and then I've since removed the other half of the wall. And I will tell you... It was incredible the difference and how much brighter the entire place got with that wall out. So the kitchen was obviously way brighter, but the living room also became brighter because there was no obstruction blocking the light from any of those windows. The room can be full of light now. Well, this is not unlike what Jesus is talking about here. So the question is this, how clearly can you see? Is there anything in your life that is blocking the light of spiritual values? In my study Bible, um, the word healthy in verse 22 and the word unhealthy in verse 23 both have footnotes beside them. Does anyone's Bible here, if you have your Bible open, does it have a footnote or a different translation in there? I'm kind of putting everybody on spot. But. Generous. Generous, okay. That, that's the footnote? It's, well, for 22, you say? Yeah, for the word, kind of the word. The word for healthy here implies generous. Yes, perfect. That's exactly what I, where I was going. So my, my Bible, um, the same as yours, had the footnote, and it says the Greek word here implies generous for the word healthy, and it implies um, stingy for the word unhealthy. And so they're not translated that way, so I want to be a little bit careful how much we read into it. Uh, But if you look at that passage with um, those words in mind, it gives a good perspective of what Jesus is talking about throughout the whole passage here, because he's talking about how we interact with our possessions, our worldly possessions. So if you were to read it like that, it would say, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are generous or healthy, the whole wor- or your whole body would be full of light. But if your eyes are stingy or unhealthy, your whole body would be full of darkness. If you're able to view your material possessions, your finances, and even your time with a generous eye, you allow your body to be filled. You allow that spiritual light to come in and you get to use those possessions to further the kingdom. But if you view all of those things with a stingy eye, you allow those individual things to block out light. And we all know if you block out light, it casts a shadow and creates darkness. Um, John Wesley um, was a well-documented, kingdom-focused guy. He was very generous. And he famously offered three rules of how to use money. And these are pretty good, so you may want to take note. These are not from me. They're from John Wesley. So he said, when it comes to money, you need to gain all that you can. Second one is you need to save all that you can. And then when I, so I was practicing this part with Cash, our youngest son at home. Um, He wanted to listen to me preach this morning while I was practicing. I gave those first two and then he put his hand up and he said, Dad, you should share your money. And I said, oh, that's really interesting because the third key or the third rule that he gives is that you do those first two You get all you can and save all you can so that you can give all that you can. That was kingdom-focused generosity. So in order to have that, we need to keep our eyes cleared and focused on spiritual matters. Now the third key to having a kingdom-focused generosity is to keep our hands strong, doing the work for God. Uh, We read in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the wording in this verse, I remember when I was younger, always I found it so interesting because I saw, you know, every authority figure out there as some sort of a master, right? And so I was looking at mom and dad, like, well, which one do I serve then? <laughs> but it says you can't serve both God and money. In this, in um, their time. There were masters and there were slaves, and you worked for your master and your master alone. It's not like today where you can go out and get a job to earn money, and if things aren't going well there, you can quit that job and go work for someone else. Or um, you can't have a a job over here and a part-time job to help make ends meet. In their time, you were owned by a master, and you worked just for that master. You were in servitude to them. It wasn't a choice. If we were to take a step back and look at our society as a whole, in this light, I think you will see that there, is, there are a few masters that catch our attention and end up ruling over us. There's an unquenchable desire for more right now. People want to have more money, more power, more stuff, more status. And these things drive so many people. The more money you have, the more of these things you can get. It's the main reason they make almost all the decisions in their lives. 
I remember multiple times in my own life um, that I would get this idea of something that I wanted, and sometimes they were just the dumbest things. But you get this little inkling in your head, oh, that would be great to have. And you think about it more and more, and the more that I would think about it, the more I would focus on it, the more I would realize I had to have it. I mean, it just made sense. And so I would go through, and I, you know, you could put whatever you wanted there. I'm sure we've all had these moments. So you could put in whatever it is that you want to fill in the blank. You know, a new Xbox, a new phone, a new vehicle, a new phone, a new computer, a new phone, a boat, or another new phone. I don't know if you picked up the pattern, but I really like new phones. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of them. So whenever new technology comes out, I, I look at it, I review it, and then I go, I should get that. <laughs> but in all of those cases, as I would focus so much on wanting these things, they would begin to rule over my being. And I would work tirelessly to serve the master of greed and the master of self-indulgence. At times, I would even take my tithing money and I would put it into savings to put towards these things I wanted, right? Because they, they totally became my driving force. And I would think to myself, you know, I need to get a better job so that I can still tithe and do these other things that I really want to do or the things I want. But God says you can't serve two masters, right? That's not how it works. If you're choosing one, it means you're not choosing the other. And in those moments when I would let greed and self-indulgence take over, I would forget that I already have a master who has purchased me through his blood on the cross. In Romans 6, 22, verse, or 6, verse 22 and 23, it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefits you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As slaves of God, we should be working to serve his purposes, not our purposes. We should only be working for one master here. So we need to keep our hands strong working for that master. Now I said at the beginning of my message that we were going to come back to this Humphrey uh, Monmouth that nobody seemed to know anything about except my wife. Um, so he was a wealthy businessman alive at the same time as William Tyndale. Now, um, while William Tyndale was trying to translate the scripture, there were lots of people trying to stop him and kill him. And Humphrey Monmouth gave William a place to stay. He provided him with food and clothes and all of the supplies that he would need, <clears throat> excuse me, that he would need while he translated scriptures. And then when things got too dangerous where he was, Humphrey Monmouth and a group known as the Christian Brethren paid for Tyndale to flee. They moved him to a new area, paid for all his lodging, and again, bought him all the supplies he would need to continue his work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this was a guy that was kingdom-focused. Once the scriptures were translated... They were smuggled back into England in bundles of cloth by Humphrey Monmouth. 
You see, this guy, he understood what it meant to have kingdom-focused generosity. He was willing to give of his wealth. He was willing to give his time and effort. He was willing to risk his business. And he was willing to risk his life to see God's kingdom and God's word go forward. That's very kingdom-focused generosity right there. So the keys to having kingdom-focused generosity that we've gone through today are to have your heart pure, your eyes clean and focused, and to have a strong hand doing God's work. So I want to ask the question this morning to you. I want you to reflect on your heart and ask, what do you value most? Is your treasure here on earth, or are you valuing the treasures in heaven that are to come? What would your heart be seeking after? What about your eyes? Are they healthy, generous eyes? Can you see all of these possessions in light of how God has gifted you and blessed you with them in a generous light? Or are you allowing those desires for those possessions, um, are you allowing your stingy eye to block out the light of spiritual values in your life? or at least in some areas of your life. And lastly, are you using your hands to serve a master here? Are you using it to serve you or your greed or your desires? Or what are you using your hands for? Are you keeping your hands strong, doing the work of your true master, Jesus Christ, who has bought and paid for you in full through his work on the cross? Pray that it's the latter of that one. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for each one here. I ask, Lord, that you would use your spirit to guide us as we try to have a kingdom-focused generosity, to show us areas in our hearts that we need to submit and turn back to you, Lord. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would richly bless us as we serve you and you alone, and that... Going forward, each one of us could reflect on our hearts and our lives and that we would make the changes necessary to um, serve you as you've called us to serve. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, well, thank you so much, Sam. If you'd like to stand, we'll just end with Be Thou My Vision.